We went to school together, so I can't lie about my past. <laughs> but it's so good to be here. It's so good to be in your midst. Um, first of all, I'd like to honor your pastor. Jesse, who I've known for a very long time. And his amazing wife, Eva. so good to be here. The Spirit of God is here. And where He is, there is liberty. So I just want you to get up on your feet and walk to five people and say, I love you, whether you like it or not. Come on, let them celebrate. particular culture, tribe, or people group, right? It's a visible identifier of a person's heritage. In other words, it tells us where they come from. So before we hear an accent, before we have a chance to confirm the ancestry of a person, um, before a person has a chance to self-identify, a tribal mark can identify them for us. Are we together in this um, in Nigeria, we have all kinds of tribal marks. We have those, those really big ones that look like the person fought with a lion. Yeah. Now, when we were growing up, we, we, we believed the legend that the people who had those really big marks had fought with a lion and prevailed, but that the lion wanted to leave a sign that there was a fight, and so, you know, so it, it left markings on the face. So we believe those people were warriors, right? It's like how Jacob fought with the angel, but not without losing his hip. Yeah. Those people fought with a lion, but the lion took a pound of flesh, right? <laughs> but I, I'm not even trying to believe that. 
But I think it's like the some Yoruba people, and I think people from uh, Nupe people that would have those. Um, what? Okay, that would have those really big marks. What? Igala. Uh, some other tribes will have just a, a little mark on the face. Some people have very elaborate designs, you know, very unique designs. But whatever the case, the tribal mark identifies them with a particular culture, with a particular tribe. You know, in fact, there's some people who just by seeing a tribal mark can tell you where a person comes from, their tribe. They can just say, oh, that person is from this tribe. And if some people are really, really good, they can tell you which clan and which family within a tribe a person comes from. Because essentially, a tribal mark identifies your culture, your tribe, your heritage, your family. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord sent me to tell you this evening that there is a Christian tribal mark. There is something that identifies us as those that belong to the culture of Christ. There is something that we possess that sets us apart as those who have imbibed and embraced the kingdom culture. There is something that when people see in you and I, they will be able to tell that this guy is a Christian. Something that if they see, they will be able to tell that this girl is a Christian. Before we ever introduce ourselves, there is something that does an introduction for us. Something that makes people come to meet us and say, Are you a Christian? You know, this whole Christian thing, when we were given the name, Christians didn't name themselves Christians. Yeah. Yeah. It was people that saw the tribal mark on them <laughs> and said they were Christians. They looked like Christ. And so there is something that we can possess. And when people see, they will come to us and ask us without us having to identify ourselves. They will say to us, are you a Christian? This tribal mark is not a physical mark on the face of the body. It's not a rosary in hand or a cross on the neck. Because, you see, the proof of Christianity is not wearing a cross. It is bearing a cross. It is carrying the cross of practical sanctification and dying to ourselves. The tribal mark is not uh, carrying a big King James Bible and being able to quote several scriptures in, in the KJV. You know, there are people who think that it's only King James that is the real Bible. If you quote the NIV around them, they will look at you like, what's wrong with you? You must say, hitherto, thou saith the Lord, behold, I cometh to thee, <laughs> Our travel mark is not physical, yet it is tangible. It is something spiritual, yet it is visible. It is internal, yet it can be seen, it can be felt, it can be touched. Ladies and gentlemen, the travel mark of Christianity is the character of love. Character of love. I said I won't preach, and here I am screaming. Love is the mark that when people see on us, they can tell that we have been called 
according to the name of Christ. They can tell that we are identified with Jesus. Uh, let's look at John chapter 13 from verse 34 to 35. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus speaking, and we'll come back to the scripture several times. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And watch this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. So according to Jesus, the one sure sign of Christian discipleship is the love that you and I have for one another. According to Jesus, the way that people will know that we belong to him, the way that people will know we are identified with him, is by the character of love. You see, the word disciple means learner. It's from a Greek word called metetes. It means a learner. And so what Jesus is saying is that the way people will know that we have learned from him, the way people will know that we have drunk of his spirit. Because you see, you cannot come in contact with the God who is love and not exhibit love. Are we together in this house? Are you hearing me in this house? So if people were ever in doubt about where we come from, if people were ever in doubt about our spiritual heritage, according to Jesus, the way they will know the tribe that we belong to it's not just by our saying we are Christians, it's by the showing of practical love. By this, everyone will know that you are my son. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus does not say, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you're walking in the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. It's a quiet one. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't say, by this they would know you're my disciples if you know how to speak in tongues and cast out devils. Yes, yeah. Because you see, in the church, we often think that the possessing of spiritual gifts is a sign of spiritual maturity. So when we see a person exhibiting a spiritual gift, we automatically think they are spiritually mature. People have even made marital decisions based on the person's gifting, only to get married and find out there is really no spiritual substance. One sister said to me, when that brother speaks in tongues, ah, the vibration of his tongues will be vibrating my spirit. You know, I can feel it inside me. I believe it's Christian King that said, it doesn't matter if they are fluent in tongues, if they are rude in English. Is he patient? Yeah. Is he kind? Yeah. Is he long-suffering? Yeah. Because let me tell you, I haven't been married before, but when there's marital issues, it's not tongues that solves it, it's patience. No, sir. Are you with me? I'm with you. You're with me, okay, What did he say? You know, we seem to forget in the church that the devil also possesses spiritual power. The Bible speaks of lying wonders. We seem to forget 
bro, that Judas performed miracles. When Jesus sent them out, Judas also healed the sick. Judas also experienced miracles. But he was never truly saved. My father taught me when I was growing up that there's a difference between grace and growth. There is a difference between grace and growth. When God gives us spiritual gifts, he gives them to us by grace. It is a gift. We don't do anything to earn it. Spiritual gifts are given by grace. But it is not and was never meant to be an indication of spiritual maturity. As I'm standing here speaking to you, I'm walking in my office as a Bible teacher. The grace of God is flowing through me. Yeah. But it tells you little or nothing about my spiritual maturity. You, you can't know how spiritual mature I am just by listening to me. Unfortunately, many of us think that just because we are gifted and we are growing, <laughs> we too often confuse ministry for maturity. You guys are too quiet. Tim Keller said, ministry can either make you a better Christian or make you better pretending to be one. Ministry can either make you a better Christian or it can make you better at pretending. If that ministry is driving you to truly seek God in the place of prayer and the word, or you're just learning to write on your gift. So you find out you're no more studying and praying, you're no more drawing closer to God in communion, but when you start to sing, people still get healed. And so you learn after a while, it looks like I don't have to study. And this is my personal experience, by the way. I'm telling you because... It happened to me. So you get to a point in your walk with God where you become a professional minister. You know just the right songs to sing to move the atmosphere. And because God is kind, things will still happen. People will be changed. Chains will be broken. But you are not growing. <laughs> Ultimately, it's not about how many people have been changed through you, but how much you are being changed by the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. So spiritual maturity is the extent to which the fruit of the Spirit yes, is manifested in your life. Yes, Amen. Yes. Not the gifts of the Spirit. Yep. The extent to which the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in your life. Somebody said it like this. Spiritual maturity is the extent to which your reflex reactions reflect Christ. Spiritual maturity is the extent to which your reflex reactions reflect Christ. You know it's possible to be gifted and yet immature. Yeah. <laughs> it is what we see in the book of Corinthians. The church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3, he says to them, I cannot write to you as mature. He says, I can't write to you as though you are mature believers because you are still babies in Christ. Now that, that busts my head every time because if you know anything about the church in Corinth, they were the most gifted church. Healings and miracles. 
tongues and interpretations. He, I mean, all the gifts were in operation that Paul had to write a whole section teaching them how to manage. It was a service where everybody was prophesying. Everybody was speaking in tongues. It was a very gifted church. Yet Paul says, I can't write to you as mature believers. Why? Because you still have backbiting, you still have jealousy. Though you are gifted, you are immature because you have no love. Because you have no love. Later on, Paul will say to them, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 31. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It says, now eagerly desire the greater gift. So, there is nothing wrong with the gifts of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. I grew up in the church where the gifts of the Spirit were manifested. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. It says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. But there's something else in this verse. There's a second part to this verse. Did you not copy it well? Well, it says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then it says, Paul says after this, yet I will show you a more excellent way. So what is the more excellent way? The more excellent way is 1 Corinthians 13. Because this is, the, this is the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. So it says, but desire earnestly the greater gifts. And moreover, a most excellent way. So there's a way that is more excellent. So while you're desiring the greater gifts, Paul is saying, I'll show you something that is more excellent than the gifts of the Spirit. And then he goes in 1 Corinthians 13 and says, If I speak tongues of men and angels that have no love, I'm just a dumb and simple. He says, If I have the gift of all prophecy, he says, If I can have faith that can move all mountains, he says, If I have enough goodwill to give my whole body to be burned, and death I have no love. I am nothing. <laughs> so the more excellent way Paul says is love. Because you see, without love, spiritual gifts become an avenue for competition rather than ministry. Yes, yes, sir. Are we together? Yes, sir. Am I making any sense? Yes. yes. Without love, spiritual gifts become an avenue for show off rather than service. Without love, I will use my gift to manipulate you rather than to serve you. Yeah. That's what you have in Corinth. So gifted, but their gifting was their problem. You know, sometimes what kills us is our gifts. Because when we don't have the character to manage the gift that God has given us, gifting will get you on platforms. Character will keep you on platforms. <laughs> Yeah. And so love is the environment in which spiritual gifts thrive. Yeah. Love. Jesus does not say, by this, men, you, men will know you're my disciples if you have a big bank account. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say, if you're walking in material prosperity, yes, sir. men will know you're my disciples. Yeah. Now again, I have nothing against prosperity. As a matter of fact, if the Lord is leading you to give me something wonderful, so, hey, but the, the Lord might be leading you right now to give me an iPhone 10, I will not complain. God bless you. 
Amen. 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 God, God bless you in advance. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but still, only if you're late. But material prosperity is not our tribal mark. There are some in the church who will have us believe that the one sure sign that you are a believer in Christ is that you have money. Now, I really wish that was true. I, I, I wish that's the way it was. I wish that once you give your life to Christ, it just comes with a big bank account. Uh, it would be wonderful. <laughs> but it makes no sense scripturally. James chapter 2 verse 5. Has God not chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? That is right there. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? So right there, this shatters that whole argument. Yeah. <laughs> but it also doesn't make sense experientially. I mean, all we have to do is go to Syria. To our brothers and sisters, the Christians in Syria. So Jesus does not say by this man and woman will know you're my disciples if you have material prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just doesn't say that. Yeah. The truth, the proof of Christianity is not how much you have in your account, it's what you do with the money you have, no matter how little. Sure. Wow. Is your money serving other people in love? Yeah. It's not about how much you have in the account, it's how much no matter how little, that money is being used for the advancement of other people's lives. It's not how big your bank account is, it's how much your hands can reach out. Yeah. Let me show you a very interesting scripture. It, it amazes me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 2. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 2. All right, okay, so it says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, verse 2, this is very interesting. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich. Now, I don't know if you're reading what I'm reading, but something's not adding up here. It says, very severe trial, extreme poverty, and yet rich generosity. Uh, uh, that, that messes with me, okay? I don't get it. Extreme trial, very poor, but rich in generosity. It means that they didn't have a lot of money but they were still willing to give the little that they had to the church in Jerusalem. It means that they had gone to a point where money was no longer their God, it was a tool. They were able to give out money without feeling any sense of loss. The true proof of faith in Christ is not how big your account is, but how much the money your account serves up. Some that tell us that if we are rich in money and prosperity, then it will attract people to us. You know, the idea is that if we ride the best cars and the world will see our beautiful car, and will say, if Jesus can give you that, then I want, I want Jesus. 
here's my response. Here's my response. If if you want Jesus because of the things he has given me, then you don't want Jesus. Yeah. You want the things. Yeah. If you marry a girl because of her father's money, you don't love her. Yeah. You love her father's money. Yeah. And so if you're attracted to me because of the things that Jesus has given me, then you don't want Jesus. Jesus becomes a means to an end. Yeah. You're not really in it for the love, you're in it for the money. And you know what usually happens when people like this find out that money doesn't just come from the tree, they are gone. Jesus says it is by our love. Not by the things that we have. The 21st century church is enamored with things. And God is calling us back to a place of passionate love. Where our love brings to the surface and everyone can see. Let me tell you, there is no shortage of things in the world. You cannot attract the world with what it already has. Are we together? Yes. You can't attract the world with what it already has. All you have to do is Google one of your favorite celebrities and you will see how much money they have. I mean, if this thing is by prosperity, then give me that what is religion. There's no shortage of things in this world. hardly get off their phone. Yet when I ask them what's wrong, they'll say I'm lonely. And so in my mind is how is it that you're always on your phone talking to people and yet you're lonely? There is so much connectivity, it's easy to reach people, but there is so little love. There is so much division in our world, men against women, rich against poor, our blessed feminists, Tribe against tribe, competition on every angle. The whole culture is training us to be savages. Everywhere around us is fighting, division, anger, strife. But can you just imagine a community of people where men are not ashamed to willingly lay down their lives for women? And where women are willing to lay down their lives for men. A community of people where different tribes can come together and worship God without any sense of inferiority. Yeah. Where the poor do not feel less than the rich and where the rich yeah. show great respect for the poor. Where women can be friends without gossiping and where men can be friends with vulnerability. A community of people where there is so much family and love and community. Yeah. The world will see this yeah. and ask, how is it that people so different yeah. can be so united? The world will see this and say, how is it that you guys can have so much genuine love for one another? What is it that unites you to one another? Yeah. And we will answer, the answer is Jesus. Yeah. 
Wait till you have that. Just let the Bible speak for itself a bit. First scripture we'll look at is Galatians 5 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself. That's Christianity summarized. Faith in Jesus. Expressing itself through love for others. See, faith cannot be seen. Can you see faith? You can't tell if I have faith or not. Faith is like, you know how we used to say about HIV? You know the show for faith? I'm sorry. But love 
is how faith is seen. So, so your love gives a face to your faith. My invisible faith is made visible through love. Faith cannot be seen. Nobody can see faith on me. But where there is a genuine expression of love, it evidences that there is faith. Yes, yes, yes. That's what James means when he says faith without works is dead. In that scripture, if you read James chapter 2 very carefully, we can say faith without works of love. Because when you see the examples that James gives, he says, if your brother comes to you and says, I'm hungry, and you say, be a field, that's a dead faith. If your brother comes to you and says, I'm cold, and you say, be a warm, that's a dead faith. So what James is saying is you can talk about your faith all day, but until we see practical expressions of love, your faith is dead. So your love gives a face to your faith. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not saying that we are saved by our love. Okay? I'm not saying that God accepts us based on how much we love others. No. The gospel is clear. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We are saved when we put our faith in everything that Jesus has done. In his death, burial, and resurrection. When we embrace all that Jesus has done for us by faith, we are saved. For we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. And when we accept that as our own and we say, I have no other works to bring, but I trust in the work of Jesus, we are saved. Okay? So our faith saves us. But what the scripture is saying is that where there is true faith, it will produce love. Because, you see, faith unites us to the very spirit of God, to the very nature of God. And if the nature of God is love and the spirit of God has come to live inside you, you cannot help but show love. You can't have the seed of the spirit and not show the fruit of the spirit. So our faith is not abstract. It really unites us to the nature of God such that God comes to live in us. And the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And when that love is shed abroad in our hearts, it can't help but come out. So we are not saved by our loving others. But where there is true faith, it will produce love. John Calvin says we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. I love those old dead guys, they're very smart. <laughs> but saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Because true saving faith will produce love. Right. It will produce love. Right. I want to show you something that I like to call it like Bible mathematics. So let's let's go to John 5:24. John 5, 24. Let me, let me clarify this some more. Okay, so Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So what Jesus is saying is when we hear the gospel, 
and we put our faith in everything that Jesus has done, when we believe that gospel, we already have eternal life. Okay? Somebody say, I have eternal life. I have eternal life. I have eternal life. I have eternal life. Okay? When we put our faith in the gospel, we already have eternal life. And according to Jesus, we will not be judged. Wow. So the believer in Christ is not looking forward to judgment. We look back at judgment. My judgment took place on the cross of Calvary when Jesus died in my place. That's what Jesus was dying in my place. Yeah. It's me that should have been going on that cross. Yeah. But when Jesus died in my place, yeah. now God cannot hold me for something that Jesus already Ooh. paid for. Yeah. Oh my God, what is yeah. happening to you guys? That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no oh, condemnation. Yeah. It's called double job by the law. Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, you cannot pay for the same crime twice. <laughs> So if I already paid in Christ, I cannot pay for it again. So when Christ was dying, he was dying as me, I was in Christ. So when the devil comes to me and says, look what you did yesterday, I can reply and say, no, 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 I paid for it already in Christ. That's the gospel. And the believer in Christ doesn't fear judgment. We don't want to live behind and become afraid again. For us, heaven is a homecoming. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not wondering, will I make it? Will I not make it? Now, there's a judgment of our works for rewards. So, faith in Jesus gets you a come in to heaven. Okay? Your works will get you a crown. But, but when it comes to eternal damnation, if you're a believer, you are done with that. No fear of hell, no fear of condemnation, no guilt. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. It means you can stand before the Father without a sense of inferiority. Yes, yes. He sees you in Christ. Yes. You are righteous in His eyes of Christ. Yeah, so He says, we will not be judged. But we have already crossed over from death to life. Hallelujah. Not I will, I have. Amen. I have crossed over already. Amen. Now I want you to hold that phrase, crossed over from death to life in your mind. And let's go to 1 John 3, 14. We're still speaking about faith and love here, okay? I hope you understand, faith and love. So this scripture shows us faith, right? Believe and you will not be judged. You already have eternal life. But see what John says here. We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So the first one, our faith <coughs> means we have crossed over. Yeah. But here it says, we know that we have crossed over because of our love. So watch this. Our faith crosses us over, but our love is the proof that we have crossed over. <laughs> our love does not cross us over. Faith does that. Yeah. But love evidences that we have yes, yes. crossed over. Yeah. Love is the outward proof that you have crossed over. Yeah. So those who have crossed over by faith, it will be seen in the attitude of love. Because love is a yes. tribal mark. Yeah. The authentic proof of Christianity. Yeah. Let's see a couple of scriptures. I'll just read these. I'm not going to. Ephesians 1.15. Ephesians 
Ephesians 1.15. Okay. For this cause, I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which is among you, and the love which you show towards the saints. It's there. Colossians 1.4. The same thing we see. In the NIV, it says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people. There's so many of the scriptures in the Bible. Faith and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. Let me, let me read you Romans 13, 8. This, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Romans 13, 8. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Here's what Paul is saying. If you owe anybody money, Please be quick to pay that debt. Okay, I believe that's a word for somebody. <laughs> God is saying, pay, pay that guy. Amen. God is saying, pay that sister. Okay? It's been three months now, and they're trying to call you. You've blocked them on every social media. It's about It's not good for your Christian witness that you're holding back. Pay them. How many of you received that word of the Spirit? <laughs> Then let no debts remain outstanding. So he said, be eager to pay all your debts. But he says there's one debt that you will always owe. <laughs> there's one debt that you can never fully pay. That no matter how much you pay it, if you paid it yesterday, you will still owe it today. The Bible is saying that as a believer in Christ, I always owe love. Yeah. I am a continuing debtor to show you love. So even when you hurt me, I owe you love. Even when you disappoint me, I owe you love. Even when you betray me, I owe you love. That's why Jesus can know that Judas is about to betray him and still wash the feet of Judas. <laughs> How many of you know that when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, he knew? Yeah. Yeah. It's not that he didn't know, he did not know. He knew that Judas was the one. From the beginning, he knew Judas was going to, to betray him. And yet he washes the feet of Judas. Now, if it was me, I will wash everybody's feet. But when I get to Judas, I will hiss. Thank you. Jesus understood the person like Peter who was about to say, I, I have never seen this man before. Yeah. Yet he washed his feet. Because he understood that we always have a debt of love. You see, in the Christian community, people will betray you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the <laughs> One of the things we don't do very well in preparing new believers is that we don't prepare them for the imperfection of Christians. Yeah. <laughs> so they think they're coming into a community of perfect people. They don't understand that they're coming into where the worst people are because Christ came to save sinners. So all of us sinners gather in here. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm the chief among them. We don't prepare them. They think they're coming into to a museum. They don't realize they're coming to a hospital with sick people. They think they're coming to see angels. Oh, a time is coming when we'll worship with angels, but for now, you're stuck with me. So I'll hurt you. Sometimes I don't say things with the right tone. Yeah. That's why forgiveness must be forgiven. That means you must plan to forgive before you are offended. If you because while we are yet sinners, if you wait till you are offended to start trying to forgive, you're already late. Forgiveness must be forgiven. So I owe you love. <coughs> I owe you love. I owe you love. I will always owe you love. The Christian community is a community of debtors. <laughs> Almost time to get out of here. Let's look at John 13, uh, anchor text again. John 13, 34 to 35, and I'll, I'll rush this up. I want to make a second point. I have three points. The first point is love is a tribal mark, and that's my most important point today. But I, I have two more things I want to say. So Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. <clears throat> By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the first point is that love is a tribal mark. But there's a second point that Jesus is making that I want us to see. And the second point is that the world is watching. Okay? Because it says, by this, everyone will know. It means that they are trying to know. It means that they are watching. They are, they are trying to see if we are really disciples or not. And unfortunately, many Christians live without this consciousness that we are being watched okay, by the world. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where an unbeliever told you, and you say you're a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that just baffles me. When the people in the world <laughs> are, are telling us, I thought you were a Christian. So, so you're in the office and everybody is doing something. And then you, the believer, decides to do it. And they say, but, but I thought... Let your light shine before men, not before God. Say, oh, God knows my heart. <laughs> you have to realize that you may be the only Bible some people will read. Yeah, yeah. Or at least you may be some people's only introduction or even motivation to even want to know what the Bible says. Because the world does not care about all of our fancy doctrines of, no. of uh, the incarnation of Christ. They don't know what that means until they see the love that made Jesus come down incarnated in us. You can talk all day about the doctrine of incarnation and it means nothing to them except that love becomes incarnated in you. In the history of church, you know, now Christianity is popular, but there was a time when Christianity were called pagans because they refused to believe in the you know, pagan gods of that time. 
And Christians were very hated. They used to sew animal skins to Christians and push them to life so that they'd be mauled. Christians were being torched in fire for their faith in Christ. And they were hated. I mean, the, the, the Romans misunderstood Christians because, for instance, a, a believer would say, were eating the body and blood of Christ, and they didn't understand yeah. it was communion. Yeah. So they thought Christians were cannibals. Yeah. Those are some weird folks. Yeah. You know, they eat flesh and blood. Or they would see a husband and wife calling each other brother and sister, and they'd be like, there's some incest going on here. You know? So Christians were being, were being persecuted because, number one, they will not worship the pagan gods, and there was a lot of persecution. Yeah. But do you know one of the ways that the old church won the pagan world. There was a plague one time, and all the pagan priests were running away from the sick people. But there were Christians in Rome that would go to the people who were sick with the plague, and they were sacrificing their lives. The people were looking at them. I have something that's communicable. But the Christians were going trying to help them with their hands, touching them, when their own priests were running away. Now, when the plagues were done, where do you think those people were going to go? Back to their pagan religion? It was sacrificial love, practical touching of human needs. Now, let me read you. There's something that's come down to us from history. One of the emperors of that time, um, Emperor Ju- Julian, he, he lived from AD 332 to 363, and he was writing in frustration about Christians. He was just angry with these Christians. And so, it's a lower So, when he says atheism, he's actually speaking about Christians. Because at that time, um, we were the atheists. Because we didn't believe in the pagan gods. It's quite interesting yeah. how the terminology has changed now. Now it's they are the atheists and we are you know, believers. But he says atheism, the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving sacrifice service rendered to strangers. And through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans, Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is an emperor writing. He's frustrated. Why are people leaving our pagan religions for this atheism? We talk a lot about the engaging culture, but how's your love for the ordinary poor man on the street? Yeah. We're looking for the big opportunities, but it's, it's in the little practical things. They'll so know we are Christians yeah. by our love. Yeah. By our love. Yeah. One more point. Jesus says, As I have loved you love one another. In other words, Jesus is not calling us to love each other based on our own strength. He says, as I have loved you. In other words, the love of Jesus for us is the foundation and empowerment for the kind of radical love that he's calling us to. 
He said, look at the way I love you as I have loved you. So also love one another. Because you see, the love that God calls us to is supernatural. It's not by power. It is not by might. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians 13 and see all the things that is required of us. Patient. Kind. Keeps no record of wrong. Is not easily angered. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Never fails. And guess what? You know sometimes we read that scripture and we pick and choose. So I'm patient and I'm kind. But I'm not long-suffering. No. The love that God calls us to is all those things yes, yes. at the same time. Yes. It's, it, it's hum, humility, hospitality, all of those things at the same time. And so it is a supernatural love that you cannot conjure up by yourself. The only way we can love other people supernaturally is if we have experienced supernatural love. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot express what you have not experienced. The only way that we can show the kind of love that the Bible calls us to express is if we have tasted and seen.
when I know who I am, I don't have to prove anything to you. When you see how he was on that cross saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. When people lie on you and betray you, when you see how much you have been loved, it empowers you to love. That's why Paul will pray. To know the love of God which passes all knowledge. He said we can try to know this love, but we will never fully know it. It is overwhelming, it is never ending, it is reckless, it goes after the rebel. It's the amazing love of Jesus. You will never love other people. Because you see, we can know it in our heads and not truly. 